Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we are thrilled to invite you in to yeah. today's conversation. It's a Davey good one. chatted. It's such a good one. Davey chatted with a good friend of mine and Kevin's as a pastor mm-hmm. um, out in Maryland named Mitchell Lee. Mitchell's lead pastor of Grace Community Church. He's been there since 2016. He just released a new book called Even If Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, and Just Doesn't Make Sense, or mm. Just Doesn't Make so Sense. So appropriate, yeah. So appropriate for Nothing Is Wasted, and he's here to talk about his Even If story. But I, what I love about Mitchell is uh, Mitchell and I started out in ministry together. So yeah. Mitchell t- shares some of his church story, and one of the churches that he was hired in in Chicago, I was on staff as the junior high youth pastor, and he came in as the high school youth pastor. So Mitchell and I worked together for a number of years. Um, Sarah, his wife Sarah and I started having babies at the same time. I think Mitchell tells our listeners this, but we stopped at three, and they just kept going. They laughed (laughs) us like two more times. I think they've got like a 100 babies now. They just kept going. Uh, But um, he is a pastor with a very, very tender heart for God. Yeah. um, A a real story of his own kind of personal personal struggle with just his self yeah. right like some self stuff and so right. i think our i think our listeners are going to be really encouraged yeah. by hearing from Mitchell i do too you know what i love I was, I was just thinking about this as you're sharing this you know we start out in life and in ministry or at school or something and you have these friends these friendships these relationships and we see it particularly in ministry and then your roads kind of diverge and you go into your separate sectors and separate mm-hmm. ministries and separate and, th- and then life hits, right? And you've got all these yeah. things that you go, you go through and you deal with, and then God reconnects you back, or mm-hmm. you've stayed in touch throughout the entire duration of that. Yeah. And, and then you get opportunities to do ministry again together, to it's partner amazing. together in that. And that's so cool the way God just works his kingdom in that way. And so, I mean, it's encouraging to, to always keep in mind to keep community around you. Yeah, that's right? true. So that you can you can once again partner with that. I've got so many mm-hmm. friends where I get to do that as well, and it's just so fun. I love hearing, I love hearing that about you and Mitchell. If you love this episode or any of the other episodes that we um, made, have made available to you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, would you go and rate and review on Apple Podcasts? This would minister to us so much. We would love hearing your review. We'd love to hear testimonies of how God is using this, using this yeah, to stir you up and spur you on as you're finding purpose in your pain. And um, after this conversation that I have with Mitchell, Aubrey and I are going to spend some time uh, providing a little bit of our own commentary. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that Mitchell brings up, we're going to take some deep dives into those topics. And so stick around after this conversation that I have with Mitchell Lee. Mitchell, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Davey, what a joy to uh, be with you and to meet you, and uh, it's just a really cool opportunity. Well, I'm excited because, you know, we have some mutual friends, uh, namely one being our co-host, Aubrey Sampson. She raves about you. I think I was first exposed to you and and your work uh, on her Instagram, and she was talking about this recent book that you have released. Uh, I'm super excited to dive into that, Um, but I'd love for our listeners first to just hear a little bit about you. 
um, what, what you do and a little bit about your family and kind of present day Mitchell Lee. And then, and then we're going to story a little bit about some of the experiences that God has brought you on. Sure. Well, the most important thing to know about me is I'm a beloved one of, uh, of God. Mm. I'm, uh, married to Sarah. We've been married for 17 years and we have five children. Calvin, who is 14, Noah, who is 11, Ben, who is 10, Beatrice, who is six, and Owen, who is four. And you guys are yeah. busy. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Holy and, cow. you know, in the thick of it, Aubrey and Kevin and Sarah and myself, we were all having these boys at right around the same time. <laughs> and then we outpaced them for two more laps uh, around. And <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. I don't, I say leave it to the professionals for sure. Yeah. But they bring a lot of joy to me as well as chaos. Mm. So, so grateful for that. Uh, I've been the lead pastor at Grace Community Church. Uh, we're a multi ethnic church sort of in between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. on the okay. East Coast. Yeah. Been here for nine years and in my role for five years of wow. it. Uh, I'm actually originally from Maryland, but uh, spent, my wife and I said we became adults in Chicago in, <laughs> for eight <laughs> okay. years. And then we came back nine years ago and have been making life here and wow. living through a pandemic here on the East Coast. Yes, Eastern Shore folk. Yeah, love yeah, it. love it. We make it out there a couple of times a year. I'm actually going to be out there in uh, in October in in Delaware, um, okay. speaking. And so we've got I've got some friends from college that came from the Eastern Shore, and they talk about how great the crab is there. Is it true? Mm, yes, yes. There's a Maryland is known for its blue crabs, yes. and it's a. If you're not from here, though, I find that it's a, it's either you either love it or hate it. Really. Yeah, and it's it could be like a personality test you could. Give oh, to maybe people, that's what, yeah. There it right? is. Right, like yeah. some people think it's just way too much work for too little return. While <laughs> other people are like, "What are you talking about? Just the social part of picking yeah. a crab and hanging out." People love that. So, uh, yes, awesome. we are known for our blue crabs for sure. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Mitchell, you you know, um, on top of pastoring and leading and 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 being a dad and a follower of Jesus, you've just released this book called Even If. And uh, the subtitle, Trusting God When Life Disappoints, Overwhelms, or Just Doesn't Make Sense. And um, this topic is going to hit all of our listeners uh, square in whatever they're dealing with in their life right now, because that's what we are trying to help people with, is in the midst of their trauma, their tragedy, their major life transitions, uh, to, f to find where God is and to see as He reveals Himself to us and as He leads us along um, the valley and into, you know, new pastures. And so I would love for us to talk a little bit about kind of the impetus behind this. What, what inspired you to write this book? I know that God's led you on some, uh, some journeys through your own pain. And, uh, and so I'd love to hear from you just, just what was the, what was the outset of all of this? Yeah. You know, this is a, a message that God has been writing in my life for 19 years. Mm. And, it's kind of funny when I tell people this, they're, they're usually surprised. Oftentimes when pastors put out books, it's because of a sermon series that they've right, done. Right. And then they, they kind of package it into a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the title, even if I gave one message on this and right. out of Daniel three, and it's a message I've given over and over again, most of the content uh, for the rest of this book came out as I was writing. And I realized mm. over 19 years, God had been pointing out stories to me articles, quotes, all these things. I had this ni nice and messy e mm. Evernote file yeah. that just said, even if. Yeah. And it really first started uh, 
in the valley. And mm. mine was an, an interesting one of, you know, it, it kind of, if I back it up, growing up in the church, I was always told how much potential I had upside. Mm. Oh, God's going to do great things through you. And, oh, we can see God's hand on you. I was always the youngest in whatever it was at the church. And, oh, yeah, you know, we can just sense his favor on you. And yeah. it was like almost every time someone... They sincerely said it, but it's like almost time, every time they said it, there was like a brick on my mm. shoulders that they were laying on there. And huh. here's why I start there. So then when I'm graduating from seminary, about to unleash all of this potential and upside, yeah. the two months before I'm, I'm graduating from seminary, my senior pastor calls me into his office and he had heard that I was going to go on to do more studies, which wasn't true, but he never confirmed that with me. He just went out and hired my replacement. And wow. then he told me, Hey, you're free to go as soon as you graduate, probably in June, you, you can go. And this was also the church that I'd grown up in. This is the yeah. church that I'd served in. This was the church of 20 plus years that I'd been at. And basically they fired me. Mm. And that sent me on this tailspin, bro. Cause I was like, I was, you can just imagine, right? You go to a commencement, you know, when you, when your, your seminary graduation, right. somebody stands up there and they're like, here's all the ways that you're going to change the world. And yeah. God's going to do this amazing thing. And I'm looking to my right and my left, and this person's going overseas and this person's joining their church. And I just got fired. Mm. And I just felt like I was punched in the gut and I couldn't figure out why I was like, what did I do? Yeah. What, what was it? And man, that started a, two and a half year wilderness. I was in a very emotionally bad place, but I needed a paycheck if I'm really honest, right? I needed mm -hmm. a paycheck. I was yeah. doing some gigs, um, speaking at retreats. And then at one of the retreats, the la one of the last ones I did over a summer, this guy invites me to come be their English ministry pastor at a Korean church plant. Mm. And bro, if, if I knew what, if I was him and I knew what was going on in my heart, there's no way I would have hired yeah. me, mm. you know? But I took it. I took the job in a very unhealthy place. And to no one's surprise, a year later, I got fired from that one. Mm. So my claim to fame is I got fired from two churches in a period of 18 months. <laughs> Not many people can uh, claim that yeah. one. And man, that was like kind of the end of, end of the line for me. I was like, I'm, I'm done. Ministry. Uh, the funny thing is I wasn't done with my faith with God. I was just done with ministry. Or yeah. rather, I thought God was done with me. Yeah. So I started managing my mom's deli. And uh, for about a year, just thinking, this is what I'm going to do until I figure out what non-vocational ministry thing I'm going to do. Mm. And I just thought the Lord was done with me. And it was a very dark period because God felt so silent to me yeah. in it. And uh, I think it was Fleming Rutledge who says, like, oftentimes the uh, the wrath of God is to prefer, to be preferred over the silence of God. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Like, we'd rather know that God is just angry at us and doing something right. versus him being silent. Right. Cause at least we and, can peg it then. Right. We can right. put, put the, the blame on something. Right. Whether, right. Even if it's ourself. Yeah. Right. And there's no shortage of people around us who want to point it out. Right. right. Oh, you must've done something or right. you must've. <laughs> and, uh, the silence of God was so hard. And it was, it was in that period where, I stumbled upon this little book by a, a Puritan writer named Richard Sibbs. Mm. And the title is called A Bruised Reed. Mm. And it's his meditations off of Isaiah 42. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. And 
Wow. Man, that just started to breathe life back into me. Like, wait a second. Uh, as, as much as I'm doing introspection and trying to see in my own heart, yeah, there was pride. Yeah, there were things. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's just that life is this messed up. Mm. And who do I believe God to really be? Uh, who Who is he? Uh, when I say God is good, what do I really mean by that? And it began this the formation of this message that um, a confidence in God's goodness, but yet a resolve to worship him when his goodness doesn't look the way I expect or want. Mm. Wow. You know, I'm really curious. Um, you were You were talking about in between those two firings when this one, you know, Korean church hires you, you just made the statement where if you, if, if this guy knew what, what was going on in your heart during that season, he probably would have never hired you um, to the degree that you feel comfortable. Can you unpack that a little bit? You know, uh, and, I, and the reason I ask yeah. that is because I feel like that these seasons uh, we, I call them sponge seasons, right? Where life squeezes you for whatever reason. And it really begins to reveal to you the things that are inside of you. So yeah. much more, right? Your character is getting revealed. But what it, what did you mean by that when you're saying what was going on in my heart? Yeah, you know, I had so much pride and arrogance even after my first firing. Like, mm -hmm. and I look back on that ministry time, and uh, you know, it's I I I actually believe that I was God's gift to the church, mm. right? Because after all, I had so much potential. I had so much Everybody upside. Been saying that over you. Everybody's yeah. everybody's telling me that, right. and. So I had come out of this, you know, internship and training of uh, at a different church. Like, oh, there's this whole way to do ministry, and then you put theological education on mm -hmm. that. I was this monster, and ministry was fruitful. Yeah. And so you're thinking God must be blessing it. And so when a prideful, arrogant person faces firing mm -hmm. or a furnace like that, what do you do? Is that a prideful, arrogant person will blame? It's everybody else's fault. It's yeah. everybody else's thing. And that, I was in that spot, you know, that whole summer. I was, you know, my senior pastor, what a jerk. He's, you know, didn't know. Everybody's fault um, but mine. And I was like, well, I'm going to show him and I'm going to take my gifts and go elsewhere. Mm. And and the, the, the scary thing, maybe I'd say, is that there were churches that were all too willing to accept my gifts without looking closely at character. Yeah and health and man that's what i knew that was inside of me and i very unwisely jumped on uh, to that church plant yeah if you like listening to the nothing is wasted podcast and want to hear more from our previous guests we have an entire library of bonus episodes you need to check out where we bring back only guests that have already been on the podcast to add to their interview with helpful resourcing, advice, and topics that supplement their already incredible interviews. This month, that bonus episode is with the brilliant Christopher Yuan, who was on episode 180 of the podcast in our singleness series, which if you haven't listened to, put it in your queue now. Christopher has so much to say about sexuality, homosexuality, and God's plan for our lives in these areas from a powerful theological viewpoint. So in this bonus episode, he dives even further into the nuances of these topics that we didn't get to in his interview. Here's a little preview of my conversation with Christopher.
In also that time, we had some philosophers and, and psychologists that were then studying sexuality, and that just fed into well, you know, this is we're getting in tune with our emotions and, and also with our desires. So that's when kind of came up with this concept of heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality. But what the issue was, it was not only kind of saying, well, we have these desires. It was actually uncategorizing humanity according to our desires and affections and our feelings,、mm. which that I think is problematic. Where it's making our attractions, our experience, who we are. If you want to listen to this entire bonus episode or any of our other bonus content, or just want to support our ministry with a monthly gift. Head over to nothingiswasted.com/partners and sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of twenty dollars a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing to twenty dollars a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com/partners. You know there. There are some of these things that you begin wrestling with, probably. I'm, you know, in that season.、Um, what, what did the Lord do to kind of untangle some of that pride? You know, obviously the firing was the, kind of the initial thrust, but as you're beginning to really parse that out and work through that, you know, surely it's not just this this one incident that oh now all of a sudden I'm I'm free of this I'm free of pride now because I just had a very disappointing experience. There's a there's a real like you said a wilderness experience. Yeah, that God's is like wandering around for this two and a half years. Can you yeah, unpack that yeah. a little bit more? Yeah, you know, it's um, gosh, when you're in the wilderness, I mean, just think about. I love backpacking,、yeah. right? So I'll go into the wilderness physically, and you know, do thirty, forty miles where everything's on your back, and you're very vulnerable. Yeah,、um, and you are dependent upon everything that's in your pack. And one of the ways that this this idea of pride. Like that, the Lord really began to ring it out of me and show me it was like ministry went on without me,、mm. you know. So like the the three years of this the student ministry I was pouring into, we were seeing all this fruit. Guess what? The fruit continued to come out right, right. without me,、right. and I'm like, dang it, like,、oh, you know? Like maybe it wasn't as much me as <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And there's so there's one part of it,、yeah. and then the second is, oh, you're really not that big of a deal, and if the Lord decides to Say you're done. You're done.、Mm. He can pull you.、Um, you know, one of the most important lessons that came out of that that continues to, I mean, even in the midst of pandemic and racial tension.、Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, leading a multi-ethnic church while working through racial tension has been、right. nothing short of hellish.、Yeah. Uh, that I've re- come to realize, and it and it stems from my time in the wilderness. That gifted and charismatic people are a dime. A dozen. Yeah, right. They come and go,、yeah. but the people who really make a difference are, are, have character and integrity and faithfulness. And maybe man, it, it changed the the kind of people I wanted to be around, the、yeah. kind of mentors I wanted, the kind of folks that、uh, I wanted to pour into me, and I wanted to model my life after. Before the wilderness, it would have been who's the most charismatic, who's got the biggest platform, who's the flashiest person.、Right. Who can teach the most? Who can who can drive a crowd and cast vision and people follow?、Uh, after the wilderness, my criteria changed dramatically,、mm. and I'm so grateful because 
my marriage, my family, even my ministry now where I am bear the imprints of some godly men and women who, if I mentioned their names to you, you wouldn't know yeah. who they are. Right. Um, but they'll be heralded when they, when we get to glory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the questions I, I love asking people in terms of like their desert season, their wilderness season, you know, you see, I'll kind of, I'll kind of contextualize it with this. You see certain times where God drove somebody into a wilderness, right? I mean, even Jesus, it says that he, the Holy spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested, yeah. Yeah. you know? Um, and then you see other situations where it seems like they were the ones that kind of drove themselves into, or you like, look at Moses, right? He's, he commits this sin by murdering this, this man. And then he's scared for his life. So he runs away into the world. Now he's, but both in both situations, the Lord is doing something in the wilderness. And, and I always like to ask people, you know, the interplay between God causing this kind of thing to happen in your life and God allowing it for his purposes and how those two tensions meet and, and how it overlays in your situation. Where, so in other words, where would you say, you know, God drove me into this wilderness and where would you say God allowed this so that there could be some things that were worked out of me in this wilderness? Yeah, I would say both, right? It's kind of a cop-out answer, uh, but you know, the, I, I've heard it said that the surest, the surest, surest path to insanity as a Christian is to try to figure out the causation for everything, right? Like, oh, why did yeah. I do this thing? Did I do this thing for God or I did this for me? Oh, that's good, yeah. Or did God do this thing or did I cause it? And the, the crazy thing about it is like if, if, if God casts me out into the wilderness, well, I, I know his motivations are always good. Mm. Right. The you know this is one thing I love about the name of your ministry and even this this podcast. Nothing is wasted. And for me, something that drives behind that, I, I was having a conversation. Uh, uh, this was about three weeks ago. There was a, a young man and his mom. He was a young adult guy. He had come. He came down after church, and he's like, um, "Hey, we just want you to know we've been here for about six months. Uh, we're moving back to California." And he begins to tell me this crazy story of how he moved out here, brought his family out here for a job. It fell through. They've had nothing. They lost everything. Mm. Now they're going back to the West Coast in worse condition than they were. And he's just filled with regrets. And 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 he was like, "Where is God in all this? Will you just pray for us?" And I, I looked at him. I said, "Brother, remember that there are no wasted years yeah. in the kingdom. Right. There are no wasted years." Wow. And the I think you know, going back to your question about like this tension of it is, we may not know was it me or was it God? Did God allow or did God cause? But we know God's ultimate motivations is that God never punishes his children. And I say that with absolute certainty because he punished his son hmm. in our place. Wow. He will discipline us. Right. And whether that's him causing, like, you know what? I'm going to force you into this wilderness because you are a prideful hmm. monster, Mitchell. And we need to get this out of you if you're going to have kingdom usefulness. Or hmm. whether it is, I'm going to allow this, I'm going to let you run the course of your sin so that you get caught into the wilderness. The wilderness still felt very much like the wilderness, yeah. whether it was a, whether it was his doing or mine, and what ultimately, in the confusion of all that or the uncertainty of it, I go back to. But this I know is that 
my God is good and mm. the nearness of my God is my good. And that's all I can hold on to. Wow. Um, wow. So, you know, when in this journey did you know or begin to realize maybe, maybe God's not done with me? Yeah. You know, I get this, I get this random phone call. So, you know, to back it up, like just before I went into seminary, I had done a, uh, an internship, uh, a six month internship at a, at a fairly large church in Chicago land and really connected well with the internship leader and then kind of lost touch. And in the midst of my deli days, I call it, um, <laughs> I get this phone call from him and he's like, Hey, you know, I don't know how, what you're up to, but, um, my wife and I attend this church and it's not the church that you know, you interned at, but we attend this smaller church and we're looking for a youth pastor. And I just feel like, man, if there's somebody I would want to entrust my own kids to, it would be you. And what do you think? Hmm. And I told him, no, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Like, no, you don't want you don't No, you don't, you don't want me. And all right, well, hold up before you, okay. What was the different, what, like, that's a totally different stance, you know, and posture that you're presenting now, as opposed to what was before, like what? Yeah. You know, um, back to back weeks and weeks on end of cleaning grease traps and serving and waiting on people in food retail. will kind of, show you you're not all that wow. you know and i really like i said and i really thought i was like god was done with me wow and it actually took some convincing that maybe he wasn't and it was so it wasn't even that phone call and i, I was like mm, i don't think so i don't think you guys want me um and then it took another like it was like three or four months later hmm. um and I don't even remember quite the details of how we got reconnected, but he was like, oh yeah, that, that, that uh, position hasn't been filled yet. We're still looking. And, and it was that during that four months is when I had started reading Richard Sibbs and started getting mm -hmm. into a little bit more of just kind of God restoring my soul, not my, not my ministry profile, but my soul. Yeah. And I said, oh gosh, I, I would love to have a conversation. And they were like, what has changed? And I was like, everything mm -hmm. <laughs> everything has changed and that began this slow but careful interview process uh, mm -hmm. at the same time i should say that when my church fired me there was a gal i was dating and we were pretty serious and it just wasn't again my pride my arrogance i thought i was god's gift to her mm -hmm. as well and we broke up like all happened within the same like month Wow. And so, I mean, I went from like, I had everything to nothing. And even in that, the Lord was beginning to do some work of bringing us back together. And, and it really was a Psalm, uh, a Psalm 126. Um, you know, you have done great things, O Lord. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like ones who dreamed, hmm. right? It's like this restoration picture, like streams in the Negev, yeah. you've, you've restored us. And man, that's what I was experiencing. And it was so concentrated. It was so like intense, this, this period of restoration, not, it's very rare. Not everyone, right. not, not that doesn't happen to many people. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for me, for my life. Wow. Wow. So, um, talk to me about maybe 
and I'm only assuming, but um, this probably colored your ministry then differently once you stepped into it. Yeah. Uh, that's probably a safe assumption, but yeah. can you talk to me about how, what, what did that look like now? You know, as you've kind of, as you were, you went through this intense desert season, two and a half years or so. And then all of a sudden you're seeing these the, kind of this, these springs of restoration of refreshment coming up in your soul, um, streams in the desert. Right. And, and now it like, I'm imagining it's got to have, it changed your approach. It changed your, even your effectiveness, your fruitfulness, how you interacted with people. Talk to me about that. That's a really good question. And, uh, it's kind of an answer to what we pray, what we prayed before we even started the podcast. And you, you prayed, David, you said that new expression, new articulation. Mm. I don't, I don't think I've ever articulated it this way. Um, so I was really unsure of myself going back into ministry because mm. I had made such a mess of it. Well, not even like exterior wise, it wasn't a mess interior. Right. It was a mess, right. but then I was the church that I was joining in Chicago was a non-Korean church. It was the first church that I was serving at outside mm. of my own Korean context. So even in that, I'm like, I'm an East Coast, second gen Korean American being asked to be a pastor to these Midwestern white <laughs> kids that I have nothing in common with except the gospel. Mm. So it, I'm like, I don't know what to do except to s preach the gospel. That's yeah. all I've got. Yeah. And man, that, that church taught me how to be a pastor. Mm. They taught me how to be a pastor. Uh, and I wasn't coming in with my ideas and here's my grand vision. And here's, it was just a lot of listening and learning. And let me figure out what your culture is. Let me, and then even over the eight years of figuring out, no, there's actually pieces of my culture that I want to bring in here too. Cause I think mm. it'll help you. And to see this beautiful mix of it, uh, I have a great debt to that church for being patient with me. Again, for Sarah and I were like newborn, new wet, newlywed, sorry. Yeah. And they saw us through our first three kids. They, they helped us become adults. They modeled for so many things. I mean, it was just a, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I was actually really glad for that. Wow, man. Okay. So, you know, even if became this kind of, like you said, it was, it was this, it was this Evernote, which I love the fact that first of all, you referenced that I'm geeking out for a second, right? Because I also use Evernote and I do the same exact thing. I just let things kind of gravitate and when it just, and it just kind of fills up this note before it ever becomes something that feels like it's a fully fleshed out idea. But here case in point over years and years, this concept or this idea, God kept weaving this thread through your experiences and ministry and teaching and stuff like that. Um, why, why even if like, what was the significance of that? Why was the, why was that the thing that kept coming through? Yeah. Um, so right. The, the phrase comes from Daniel three hmm. and that too was a little soundbite that I had heard in the midst of my wilderness. And the point of it, it's kind of ironic. It came from a Chuck Colson broadcast hmm. and the whole point of the broadcast, that particular episode in talking about even if was the fact that most Christians uh, today wouldn't even know what passage that that came from. And it was about the need for biblical literacy. But that's oh, not wow. the way it landed yeah, on me, it, yeah. right? I'm like, wait, where does that come from? And Daniel 3, and I'm a seminarian, I should know. So I go mm. look at Daniel 3, 
and it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling them to bow before him, and they issue this resolved declaration of saying, our God can save us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship anyone else. Mm. And that turn, that, that little Sunday school became something totally different for me. Like, I've heard it, oh yeah, our God can save us. Right. Absolutely. But even if he doesn't, mm. even if he doesn't do what we know he could, even what we think he should, we're going to continue to worship him. Mm. What, what basis for resolve do, I mean, like what basis does that kind of resolve come from? Yeah. Yeah. A, a friend of mine said this way, like, you have to decide who God is before you face the furnace. Mm. And I was like, and then the more I studied that, that passage, I'm like, wait a second. Why did they even have confidence in God's goodness in the first place? Like, how did they end up yep, there? Yep. If you think about it, right. God handed their city over. Yeah. Right? God handed their city over, right. and, and it was in, in fulfillment of prophecy. And, and so this even-if declaration, it just, man, it gave me this new life of like, it was the kind of resolve firmly rooted in the goodness of God that was mm. so different from the other kind of resolve that I was being told to have. Stuff like, Oh, just, you know, God's going to do a greater good, mm. right? Uh, I mean, like, you know, sometimes in, in before a funeral, I'll tell people, like the, a grieving party, a grieving family, hey, let's pray this before we go out there. God, forgive people for what they're going to say and forgive mm. people for what they don't say. Yeah. Because we don't know how to deal with suffering. Yeah. We don't know how to deal with struggle. Right. So we say all kinds of cliche, crazy stuff that, yep. that doesn't make sense. God's going to do a greater good or, or suck it up or, hey, at least it's not as bad as so-and-so right. or I had it worse. And, and Man, none of those things was like any kind of balm to me at right, all. Right. Um, and I realized this was something different. This was something saying, no, we can believe in God's goodness, mm -hmm. but even if it doesn't come the way we want, we can still worship him. Mm. And there was a reality to that, bro. It was like there was an authenticity to that. There was a lament to that that really birthed life in me because I felt like I could be real with God and I could really embrace the real God. Yeah. And once I saw it in Daniel, it, mm. it's like that, that, that phenomenon, you see it everywhere. Yep. You see it in all over the scriptures, even in places that you're not really quite looking for it. And then you start seeing in different books and articles right, and right. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The fact that we can like embrace the tension of two yes. things we can hold, we call it, you know, the tension of and like, how do we hold those to what seem to be conflicting ideas uh, yeah. when, when in reality they are able to be held together. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. And that's rooted in the gospel, right? right. I mean, uh, the, the, the gospel itself is fraught with that kind of beautiful tension. Yeah. Right. You and I are saint and sinner at the same time. Yeah. We believe in a God who is three in one and one three, right? We, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a virgin birth. Mm -hmm. There's all of these the beautiful tensions that the gospel holds for us. And who out of all people in the world can hold that? We can. I, I call it an ambidextrous faith. We yeah. can hold the trouble of the world or trouble of life in one hand and the goodness of God in the other. And we, and we want to be ambidextrous mm. in it. And that's really the heart of this message has been, I want to, people, I want to give people permission to have an ambidextrous faith. Yeah, yeah. And, and even when one hand is pulling harder than the other, to be able to to be ambidextrous mm. and to hold it together and to hold it for each other yeah i think is really huge yeah
I, you know, I don't want to be reductionist and saying there's only two different situations. So I'll kind of go polar extremes a little bit, but it sounds like, you know, your story was one in a lot of ways where you had these like building blocks of faith growing up in church and, you know, people even speaking over your life, the effectiveness that you were going to have in the kingdom. And, and it was like, what God has been doing on your journey is kind of extracting the the pride and that stuff that would inhibit you from really walking in effective kingdom work and humility. Whereas there's other people who they didn't have that kind of faith foundation. Right. And to your point, you said just, you know, earlier something about, you know, uh, I don't, I don't remember the, exactly how you put it, but the idea of, of kind of building that faith before the trial hits, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about training for the trial that you're not yet in, but there are some people that, they get to a moment like the fiery furnace and, and because they didn't have that foundation of faith or they get to some cataclysmic tragedy in their life because they didn't have that foundation of faith, they have no language for that. Even if right yeah, all of a sudden yeah. it sends them reeling on these, the, Oh, well this is this, you know, God's God's a God who doesn't come through God's a, you know, and they begin believing these false ideas about God. And so it takes them on a, trajectory of life that is really destructive. And we yeah. see this all the time when we're, we're working with trauma. I'm sure you've seen this kind of situation play out over and over and over with people in your congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you help somebody understand how to build a faith foundation? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? You know? Yeah. Um, and because sometimes it feels like it, it's like a need to know basis, right? It's like they didn't teach us personal finances in high school growing up. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know personal finance. I didn't until I needed to know it when I was in the real world. And all of a sudden I'm like, I need to, I need to figure out how to balance checkbook. I need to, you know, remember those things, checkbooks, similar situation, right? All of a sudden it's like, well, what life's fine and stuff until it's not. But then it's almost like it sometimes feels like it's too late to build that foundation. So as you're pastoring people, how do you really help engage people in that? You know? Yeah. It's a really real and present question that you're asking, bro. Cause I mean, we're walking through it right now with actually really close. My my wife's cousin right now, he's a few years younger than me. He's like right now in the hospital dying of cirrhosis, which mm. is, they call it alcoholics disease. Yeah. And if he doesn't get a liver transplant, it's it's not going to end well. Wow. And he is not a believer. Uh, his parents are not believers. His, his sister is not a believer. And... But they know we are, mm. and they're they're reaching out. She's reaching out to my wife and asking for prayers. And there's these little moments of not. It's not the time for theological proposition, right? But it is the time for the God of comfort. And yeah. you know, even as you're saying that, like my one of my operative verses, Second uh, Corinthians, one, uh, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I mean, that's a tongue twister, but I love it in that it's, we are, we are, we are called to bring comfort, like, so I, I make it my, a point of pastoral practice for myself to never miss 
as, as much as I'm humanly possible to never miss the opportunity to make a visitation, especially if somebody's in sickness, grief, or joy. Mm. These moments of connection, they are yeah. deeply sacred moments. To be there when a, I was there when a 17-year-old young man was, was, he breathed his last breath in the living room of his house as he died of cancer. It is a sacred, sacred moment. Yeah. And the family just, they're reaching out for something. Right. And actually, in my experience, now I don't know if this is completely a template, but my experience in that moment when somebody passes or that tragedy happens, the question is not why yeah, right away. Right. Not in those first few moments, not yeah. in those first few days, not in those first few weeks. It's The question is not why. Mm. It's just like they're just trying to breathe. They're yeah. just, oh, who, where, where? where? Like, Almost is like, God where are here? you, God? Yeah. Yeah. And what does the scripture tell us right there that we have been comforted by God so that we can comfort people with yeah. the comfort that we have received. Not comfort that we're going to try to manufacture, but the comfort we have received. Yeah. So I think the evangel, I'll use this word very tenderly, the evangelistic potential yes. of where grief is because it makes people ask the questions and we don't have to have the answers. God, God just tells us by his word to bring the comfort. That's right to bring the comfort. And so that's where I try to help lay the foundation of faith is that yeah. you have a God. I, and, and again, I'm not going to throw out cliches of like, well, you know, God's going to work something else out of this. Yeah. Or, no, I just want to say this sucks. Yep. This yep. is terrible. I'm grieving with you. This is not the way it should be. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are theological explanations of like that the world is broken and sin affects everything and we can't contain it. Yes, there are those things. And I can tell you what it's not, but I can't tell you one for one why or any right. of that stuff. But I can tell you that the God of all comfort is with you. Yeah. And I will do everything in my power to remind you of his presence with you. Yeah. And if you think about that, even the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, Davy, that God didn't actually keep him from the fire. Right. He didn't keep him from the fire. And so often we want the change of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, but God offers us something, actually something more profound as he offers us his presence right. in the midst of them. So I can say to someone, I don't know why this is happening and yeah. I don't know what's going to come out of it. But I can tell you for sure, as God promises in his word, that he will be present with you through it. That's great. And that's about as all as I can say. And then yeah. I do my best to try to back that up with incarnational presence. There it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, I don't remember who I heard say this or read it somewhere, but someone much smarter than me said this, and I just borrow it. But you know, God's answer to pain was not an explanation; it was incarnation. Mm. He yeah. he didn't try to give us this rational, you know, linear thought process of well, here's why pain exists in the world and. He just, he showed up in the person of Jesus and, um, story after story after story, we see people, you know, the Pharisees questioning Jesus in, in what was that John chapter nine yeah. where they're like, well, who, who sinned? I mean, whose fault is this, that this man's born blind and Jesus yeah. is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's neither. You, you guys aren't getting it. There's no explanation here, yeah, but I'm yeah. here to bring restoration, to bring, you know, to be incarnation. And that's what he's called us to be as well in these situations, to your point, 
for us not to come in and try to bring some kind of offer of an answer for, you know, people's pain. Yeah. I mean, if you think about even in the Old Testament, the whole book of Job is predicated around this idea of conditions. And I talk about this in the book a little bit too, but the idea of like, when we're in the midst of the furnace, we we will go into all sorts of conditions. Did I not fulfill a condition of God? Is that why this happened to me? And if, in essence, that is actually the basis of how religion works. Mm. It's conditions. The deity says, do this, and you do this, and then the result will be this. Yeah. And if that the result is not what you wanted, then you must have broken the formula. And that's really, I mean, if you think of the, the book of Job is not an explanation of suffering. Right. It's an explanation of all the wrong propositions and conditions we bring to our suffering. Mm which is all these three young men, his friends, and then even a young man speaks up and says, well, you must have done something. Yeah. You must have done something. Confess. And Job's like, no, I didn't, but let me get an audience with God. Let him show me if I did. But, but. Right. And, it's, and then at the end of it, what does he say? Gosh, I spoke of things way too wonderful for yeah. me, that this is not the way that God actually works. And I'll also add this, like even with the idea of incarnation, Davey, Henry Nouwen talks about something so important as well. He talks about not just the ministry of presence, which is incarnation, but he also says the ministry of absence. And what that is, is that it it actually flows from John 16. What does Jesus say? It's important for me to leave so that the Holy Spirit comes to you. And that has been a super releasing part of my ministry of visitation. So you go visit someone in the sacredness of that grief and you feel like you've got to be all things to them at every moment. And Actually, in some places, you're trying to be a pseudo-savior, and you got to be real careful of that. But yes, you want to be present, but then even in your leaving, there's a way to leave so that you are invoking the ministry of absence, the Spirit of God to continue on. So when I make a hospital visit or when I'm with somebody in deep sorrow, my closing prayer will be, and now, Lord, I entrust yeah. so-and-so into your Spirit's care to continue and even to deepen the work that you have started through our conversations, through our time together. That ministry of absence is so important. Uh, And I I can't emphasize that enough because I think we overlook that and we just think, let's just get hands-on and do more, 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 more. Wow, Wow, that's great. Mitchell, we we employ a bunch of coaches in our ministry. We call them certified guides. And, you know, they all have different pain stories. And so they walk people in that specific pain story. You know, if you've experienced child loss, we refer you to this coach who, you know, he and his wife have experienced child loss and they coach that couple or that person or something through that. And so that's one of the things that we train them on is that idea. I'd never heard it coined the way that you just said, you know, from Henry now in the ministry of absence, mm-hmm. but we train them to, to, to literally tell the person they're coaching, Hey, I want you to go and, and work through that with the Lord, right? We've had this session and we're kind of, I'm leading you along and I'm having you kind of like, we're bringing things to the surface so that you can kind of, uh, they're revealed to yourself. You know, you're revealing these things. You're kind of, uh, um, identifying these things yourself. Well, now go ask God and let him kind of reveal some things to you. Yes. And it's really putting at the proper place, putting God at the proper place of the healing journey. Yes. He's on the throne of this. He's the one that's leading and guiding and directing it. Absolutely. It's for the formation of the person you're caring for, but it's also for the protection of the one who's giving care. (sighs) Because how easy it is for us to get into these savior complexes, that it all depends on us. And so I I just want to commend you for that. That's a huge part of Mm. the the practice of it. And for our lay folks, too, of that 
you know, we can be side by side with anyone. The Lord can use, this is not, Second Corinthians 1 is not just for the trained folks. This is for right. anybody who's received comfort from the Lord. You are mandated to be, to give comfort, but don't put the burden on yourself that you've got to be everything for it. Mm. There is a presence and an absence that comes and goes. Wow. Wow. Man, this has been awesome. A great, such a great conversation. I would love to hear from you just kind of your hope for this book, you know, as it's been released into the world. And I know it's such a arduous process as a, as a writer to put something out. You've been collecting for years and years and years, these thoughts, and then to put it together, it's very vulnerable to put it out there for people. And yet it's so exciting as well to see how God's going to use it, uh, to work in people's lives. I know it has already, but what's your hope for it? I hope that it, it, it causes real authentic faith mm. to be birthed in folks. I, I just know there are tons of people who are just stuck because they're living in this kind of pseudo faith. And what that means is they're just, they're just waiting for everything to, to turn around and it's yeah. going to be great. And, and, and they can't speak about, they don't feel like the permission that they can really speak about what their desires are and then their disappointments and their hurts and their frustrations. And, yeah. and so they bottle it all up because that stuff is not appropriate. So they think, and I pray that, that the idea of saying, even if that no, God is good. Mm. I believe God is good. Life is hard. Mm. It's inexplainable. It's hard. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's not yeah. what I wanted it to be. Yet I will worship you. Mm. That is such an authentic expression of faith. And that's what I'm really praying that it gives birth to. I'm praying that it gives birth to that for young adults whose five-year plans didn't work. Yeah. Who are sitting there in singleness right now. And they're like, I, I thought I'd be married by now. And it's not happening. I'm praying that it would be for those on cancer journeys those who are experiencing grief and loss and tragedy, uh, that it would give rise to this authentic faith and the resolve to worship God, not because things are great, but because he is good. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Mitchell, where, where can we follow you? Where can we um, find out, you know, just kind of follow along your journey and find out more of what you're doing? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Rev M. Lee. Uh, that's also on um, Facebook, Pastor Mitchell Lee. I have a website, MitchellLee.com, and it's only it's M I T C H E L L E E. So I only have one L in Mitchell. I have my <laughs> my immigrant dad to thank for that spelling uh, wonder, but I, it gives me a little bit of uh, uniqueness. But MitchellLee.com, as well as my church's Grace Dot Community, and that's my that's my that's my ministry. It's that local church. Uh, but all of our messages and things like that are online there. That's awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we put all that on the show notes here so you guys can um, grab those resources and, and follow those those links really easily. Mitchell, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been an honor to be able to chat with you. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really, really excited for what the Lord's doing in your life. Thanks, brother. And blessings to you on your ministry. Such an important, such an important, important work mm -hmm. you are doing. And I love the fact that you're trying to equip churches to do it as well. And uh, I just want to encourage you in that and, and commend you for it and pray God's blessing for much, much more fruitfulness as you are being faithful in it all. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. I think you and my friend Mitchell Lee really connected. We did. I saw like some kindred spirit. Absolutely. I enjoyed happening. that conversation thoroughly. 
Thoroughly. Yeah, isn't he just like a just kind of a soulful, wise guy? He so is. Like, I felt like he was. There's a lot of like one-liners. He's just right. dropping like oh yeah, again and moments. again and again. That, yeah, well, that moment where he talked about the ministry of absence. I'm telling you. I was like, because we talk no, about like, all the stop time. Stop me in my tracks. All the time we talk about the ministry of presence. Yeah. Like, don't try to solve things for people. Don't try to give mm-hmm. them pat answers or, you know, pithy mm-hmm. theological phrases. Just be present. Just be there. Just be comfort there. in the way that God has comforted you. Yes. And amen. That's all true. Yeah. But the ministry of absence? No, I mean, that was really paradigm shifting for me. And how how that plays out as you're as you are caring for people right. in pain I, I think one of the things that Mitchell said or, or maybe this I just this came to mind when I was listening to your conversation with him but that I do think that involves wisdom to know oh, yeah okay now it's I'm not the savior one right. and now it's time for me to walk away yeah. so that the Holy Spirit can do what only the Holy Spirit can do I can't yeah. be here 24 7 for this person who's hurting even if I may want to right. because I love them so much it's time for me now to give them the space to be yeah. with the Lord. And I guess that's you really paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Right. Like, okay, I got I to gotta get up now and I got to go home because they have to be able to tend to their grief yeah. and God has to have space to tend to them. And if I stay and fill right. up that space, then I'm not allowing that to happen. That's so true because it's, it's you have to be so discerning in that. I mean, which mm-hmm. means you're walking right in step with the Spirit. And yeah. That's, uh, obviously, yeah. that's already difficult as it is right you know and you feel this like burden for this person this need to really step in and be there Mm -hmm. for them and comfort them but when you Mm -hmm. look at when you look at jesus and how he even dealt with his own grief what does it say he went to a solitary place yeah that's right he got away by himself and so there is some there's some elements to being by yourself that that is that's that's the space that God can do the work that only He can do. Mm, yeah, and so that's of course, true. being surrounded by community, but sometimes it can become a distraction from really mm. being able to do the deep heart work that God wants to do inside of you. I mean, some of the, you know, after losing my late wife, some of the richest times with the Lord were by myself. Wow. Without anybody else. Wow. You know, and I can't. That doesn't detract from the moments that I had with a counselor or with a friend, sure. or with a, right. That, that like gave me some kind of insight or helped mm-hmm. to sh- reframe. We've talked about this, that so many times on the pod that said, those are important things, but, to, but to be able to discern in somebody else's life, Hey, I think I need to back away, yeah. you know, for a moment or a season to be able to allow this person to have that space. is like, whoo. Yeah, that was that was really that was kind of mind blowing for me. The other thing that Mitchell talked about, so he talked about the ministry of absence, but then he also talked about in his own life the silence of God. Yeah, and how he would have. I think his quote was, "He'd rather have God <laughs> angry at him, or we'd rather right. have God angry at us than silent, because then at least we sort of know where we stand. At least God is communicating with us." And yes. This yes. concept of the silence of God, it can be one of the most difficult things to experience. Right. I think we all have those seasons of desolation or seasons, dark nights of the soul or just seasons. I mean, even recently, there was like a few like weeks where I just felt like I wasn't hearing from the Holy Spirit at all. And I was mm. like, God, where'd you go? Yeah. Like, I know you're yeah. here. You you call yourself an Emmanuel God. I know you're here, but I, I, where are you? Yeah. Like, I am not hearing from you. I'm not sensing your presence. And that can feel so discouraging, yeah, so frustrating, so confusing. Sure. Now, I feel like I've been a Christian long enough that just it happened in that moment. God gave me the grace to be like, right. maybe it's me. Maybe I haven't yeah. like settled myself <laughs> yeah. before the Lord long enough to let him speak. So yeah. that happened to be that season. But there are other seasons where it feels like for no reason right. God's not speaking. But I wonder if that's 
really the truth or if it's just the way we're perceiving the yeah. Lord at that moment. Yeah. I, I tend to always kind of the same thing as you is like when I, when I start to feel the absence of God or the silence of God, you know, by default now I go, okay, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right. That is maybe again, maybe I'm way too busy, too distracted. Yeah. yeah. Not, not immersing myself in those places that I know I can experience the presence of God, right, or at least right. that have always worked for me before. But there are going to be those seasons, I think, that, and I've experienced them, you've experienced them, you know, many of you guys who are listening to this, you've experienced them, where God does seem to pull back. Yes. Right? Where he does seem to make, and it's really interesting when we correlate this with the ministry of absence that he talked about, where, you know, look at John chapter 11, where Jesus intentionally didn't show up in time for right. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Right, waited it's, days. It literally says he when he heard the news of Lazarus, he waited. Mm. And so he became absent in this moment. Intentionally absent. Intentionally absent. Yeah. And so there has to be, right, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. So there has mm-hmm. to be times then where God will, it seems like, pull back or wait. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. seems like he's silent. I heard C.S. Lewis, uh, I, th- I don't remember which book he writes. I didn't hear him say this, but read it from one of his books. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd love to hear C.S. Lewis. Amazing, I know there's a lot of right. probably, you know, sound bites of radio stuff that yes. he's done and stuff. Like, but, yes. but he, but, you know, he wrote this in one of his books. I can't remember, maybe it was Mere Christianity or something, but he talks about that when it feels like God is absent, it, he likens it to a parent who is teaching uh, its chi- his child to walk. Hmm. Where, you know, if if I'm teaching, um, you know, my kid to walk, what I'll do is I'll kind of back away from, I'll set him up right, yep. and then I'll yep. back away from him intentionally so, so, that it, mm-hmm. so that he moves toward me. And and I'm always there to scoop him up and swoop in and, you know, say yep. if he falls down or hurts himself, right? But what I'm doing by backing up, he could interpret that as me being an absent or unloving or, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm creating some distance there. But I'm creating that distance intentionally so that he can get his legs under him. Wow. So he can strengthen his legs to walk. Wow. And and I think that there's some of that that's happening in the seasons where God seems to be absent in silence, that he's strengthening us mm. to be able to walk as believers, right? Mm. To ultimately be Such able to run as, as believers. And and so, you know, and, and then, of course, there's promises of Scripture. Draw near to the Lord, and he'll draw near to you as well. Yeah. So those things hold true. And I've, you know... You walk with the Lord long enough, you you recognize there are those desert seasons, but then God, mm. as as you pursue in those desert seasons, He He shows up and He'll fill you up in, in that right time. This is making me think of another thing that Mitchell talked about. Remember how he talked about like I don't think this is the phrase used, but so much of faith is paradox, right? Yes. Like the already not yet. And that feels like another one of those things that though we feel like God is absent from us, that's actually the moment when he's inviting us to run towards right. him. Like something about his absence and his presence in paradoxical tension Absolutely. like is also true about who God is. Yeah. And somehow for our our transformation, yeah. which is kind of hard right. to wrap your mind around. But when we can wrap our minds around that, there's hope there. Yeah. He's he's wanting to strengthen us in this trial. Whatever it mm. is that you're going through, he wants to refine you in this. Yeah. And our heart at Nothing Is Wasted is to help you partner with God to take back your story, to, to walk in that that God-given supernatural strength that he's building inside of you. And so we'd love to help you with that in any way that we possibly can. If you go to nothingiswasted.com, you can find a bunch of resources that we have for you there. Uh, Check out our Pain to Purpose course. Um, You can take that as an individual. You can go through it with your small group. Maybe your local church offers it. If not, we can get you set up for your local church to offer it. You could hire a certified guide who's been down the same road that you've been down, and they'll walk you down that pain to purpose pathway. Join a community group. 
All of this stuff you can find at nothingiswasted.com. These and a lot more resources along with them. Um, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to our email list. Uh, when we send out these, these emails, we're going to update you with podcast releases, giveaways, blog posts, ministry updates, and so much more. So subscribe to that email list so you don't miss anything that's going on at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can listen to his music wherever it is you get your music. And uh, Sleeping at Last music is definitely worth listening yes. to. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Really, really good feelings Oof, music. So we man. love Sleeping at Last. We also want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp. And next week we are joined by Tracy McCombs. It's going to be a conversation you are not going to want to miss. So let's yeah. go ahead and listen to part of Davy's interview with Tracy McCombs. I think growing up, you know, we we knew like we were wanted, chosen and left. I, I say those words to a people a lot because wow. it truly was a picture of my childhood. Like we didn't think anything of being adopted. Yeah. We actually remember like being in school and people being like, gosh, sorry that you're adopted. And we were <sighs> wow. like, why? You know, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. our normal. We didn't get it. Um, I think it's because people had seen the movie Annie. And so mm. they, they kind of had this perception, you know, maybe adoption was negative or maybe our parents got us at an orphanage. That isn't our story. It is some people's story. But to us, we were like, why? Being adopted is incredible. And we also knew that we had birth mothers and we didn't know much about our birth mothers. The only thing I remember knowing was my birth mother was very young. My sister's birth mother was not, and my sister got cards from her birth mother every birthday, and I didn't. And I don't really remember how my parents explained that to us, like why she got cards and I didn't. Yeah. But I just know I didn't, I didn't really think much of it. Mm -hmm. And so when my sister met her birth mother when she was uh, 17, I was um, 19 or 20 at the time, that's when I first thought about my birth mother.